the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. Welcome aboard. Mike Lee here, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, now on 106.3 FM in East Portland and Vancouver. 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, The Answer, Cape Ham, La Fortuna 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about getting more people back into your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, establishing yourself as an authority in your field, and becoming more known through radio, building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you, marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the latest and most powerful online tools of Salem Surround, and most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or connection to others, please email Mike Lee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at K-P-D-Q. Com. Our very special guest is no stranger to our stations. In fact, her late father, the Reverend Don Klein, launched Frontier Missions and then First Nation Ministries. And Deborah Klein is now the host of the Voice of First Nation Ministries, in addition to being president of the outreach. So welcome, Deb Klein. How are you today? I am well. Thank you, Mike, for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to continue serving Native Americans all these years later. So we're coming off a couple of years of pandemic restrictions, suggestions, as you will, are starting to change. So for First Nation Ministries, tell us what you're doing lately and what are your greatest needs, Deborah? Well, uh, the pandemic really kind of threw us a loop (laughs) because the reservations would close and open depending on what their pandemic numbers were. And so to make a trip, say, to South Dakota and be halfway there and find out they've closed the reservation, you know, that that wouldn't work. And so, you know, we've we've kind of been helping out financially uh, since the pandemic. We're also working uh, a lot with Warm Springs and and a little bit with the Colville Reservation because they're close and uh, our point person on Warm Springs he he likes to travel. <laughs> he's the pastor of the Baptist Church and he's a Choctaw Indian out of Oklahoma and uh, he loves to travel and so he would come down to Portland. We would load him up and he could take things to the Warm Springs Reservation. So where is the Warm Springs Reservation located, Deb? Educate me here. Eastern Oregon. <laughs> okay. Um, head out past Mount Hood, and uh, it's beautiful, high desert country over there. I love it. It's where Kanita was located, which closed but is going to open again now. So that'll be good because that'll provide jobs for 
quite a few other people. Oh, so that's a significant change when Canada reopens. Yeah. Oh, it will be. Yeah, it hasn't reopened yet, but when it closed, it it was devastating because there aren't that many jobs on reservations anyway. People say, "Well, why don't they why don't they go to work?" Well, because there's not that many opportunities. But Canada, that big resort, you know, when I was in high school, we always took senior skip day. We went to Canada for the day and, you know, a lot of schools went there and people went there. It was beautiful. Interesting. So is that a casino resort event concert venue then? I don't know if if they have a casino. It used to be just a hotel and a wonderful swimming pool and you could ride horses and you know, just a place to take a vacation in the sun. So some of us go to the coast, some of us mm-hmm. go to central Oregon, and right. others would go to Canada. Right. Got it. And so what have been their greatest needs outside of, obviously, income, especially over the last couple of years? Well, because of the poverty there, and you know, I have to tell you, Mike, poverty makes people do things that they normally wouldn't do. They'll steal from people that they know and love, and, you know, it, it's kind of, of a survival thing. And so we send food over there. We send clothing. We sent a wood stove to a lady that her stove went gunny sack, and she needed a new one. So we sent the stove over because we happen to have one, and we're paying for all the parts to put it together and just that kind of thing. Baby clothes, baby goods are always needed, cribs and clothing and diapers and just everything that people need to live every day. They just need it in greater amounts. We were blessed to be able to help out in that way. So what other communities are you able to help the Native Americans in? Well, we were helping in uh, St. Ignatius, Montana, but when the pandemic hit, then they shut down, and and they have not reopened. And uh, we still go to the Pine Ridge on South Dakota, but we haven't been there for a while because we never know when it's going to be closed and we won't be able to get on the reservation when we get there. So um, we've been sending finances to help, like Cecilia Spotted Bear, her well caved in and she needed a new one. Well, there's a lot of money to dig a new one and you know, and we were just so thankful that we were able to finance that for her. And and she she waited a month before she called us. She said, "Oh, Deborah, I hate to ask you." I said, "Now, Cecilia, I've told you if you need something, you let me know right away because the Lord will make a way." And He did. We were able to pay for that new well. And she's got grandkids and kids living with her. They're just packed in her little house, and they were trying to carry water, you know, it's very inconvenient and um, hard. She's 84 years old, so, you know, it's not an easy thing. And so we were so glad to be able to do that, and she was so grateful. I'm so glad you were able to continue helping people out. Mm. It must have been especially tough on First Nation ministries over the last couple of years of having such uncertainties. So have you found yourself as president of this outreach, Deborah Klein? Have you found yourself needing to realign or redefine how you do things? Because all these years, you had picked up the mantle from your mm-hmm. late father, the Reverend Don Klein. And correct me if my memory's off, but he spent three years with the Lord putting these Native Americans on his heart before they ever really opened up and started mm-hmm. being receptive to yes. him. 
and you have no blood ties to the Native American residents in the Pacific Northwest. God simply put it on your dad's heart. Yes. And you followed suit since then. Right. So have you had to change any long-term strategies? Well, I think we're in the process now of having to change some things. Um, the man that was with us for many years, and he was the one that would take loads out to the reservation, um, he decided he wanted to start his own ministry. And so he left, and it's like, Lord, what am I going to do for a driver? Uh, and the Lord has provided a man that is retired and loves to drive and, you know, he he's anxious to take the loads out. And so I'm thankful for that. And then, then I, you know, I'm so insecure with this. I think so. I, I say, Lord, what am I doing here? What, what do I say to these Indian people? Yeah. My great, great grandfather was on the first, one of the first wagon trains out here to take your land. You know, God bless. I I have a hard time because you can't, you have to build a, a, a friendship, a, some kind of a relationship with these people. You can't just start in talking about Jesus because they'll just say, yeah, white man's religion, don't need it. And they'll just walk away. And so you try to build a friendship or camaraderie. And what am, what am I going to say? And so God has been so good. Uh, I got a call from two Ukrainian men from here in Portland from a big Ukrainian church. And they said, we've, we've been going down to Mexico working with the, the Indians down there, but because of COVID, we can't go. And we're looking for places of ministry. And could we talk to you? And so I met with them and they're wonderful. They love the Lord. They're wonderful young, young guys. And they come from a very big church, and so they have the manpower and the money to go out. They're anxious to go out and have, like, vacation Bible school or just a three-day thing. They're, they're trying to reach the children, which is really good because that's the future. If you can, if you can, if you can get the children, you know, the, the future will be easier because the older people are kind of set in their ways and have too many memories of, about the past that they've either experienced or been told. And and especially here in the Northwest, I, I was surprised. I'm kind of wandering here. I'm sorry. But um, Larry and Regina McKinney are out of Oklahoma, and they said, you know, there's all kinds of people in Oklahoma, and we just kind of get along. And she said, I'm surprised out here in the Northwest at the anger that Native Americans have towards white people. It's, it's, it was kind of a little surprising to her. And I don't know what causes that, but, you know, there's a, there's a wall there that's, it's hard to break it down. And so I thought about, you know, these Ukrainian men and, and I thought, well, here they are. They're from a small country that a big country is trying to come in and take over. Native Americans will be able to identify with that because they were small numbers and here we came and just overwhelmed them. You know they they'll have they'll have an in with the native people right off the get go, and so, I hadn't put that together until you just so wonderfully explained it, Deborah Klein. So they have a lot more in common, yes, our Ukrainian friends and our Native Americans, yes, yes. than we might think, yes. And um, you know, I I'm not a spring chicken anymore, and I'm kind of crippled up and. 
I really cannot make that many trips out to the reservation anymore. And so I just feel like God is supplying these young people full of full, full of uh, pep and strength and, you know, to to carry on. And who knows where it will lead in the future, you know? I just know that God has a plan. He has a plan not only for the ministry, but for each one of us, each of us individually. He has a plan and he will see it through. Now, we may be like Jonah. We we may go the opposite way of Nineveh. But eventually, we will go to Nineveh because it's part of God's plan. I believe that with my whole heart. You know, he if we love him and have given our lives to him, he has a plan for our life and we will go to Nineveh, so to speak. He you know, we may rebel and spend some time in the fish's belly, but eventually we will we will do his will. And so I don't worry about the future. I think God has a plan for this ministry and he'll bring it to fruition and you know, my job is just to listen and and go where he nudges and do what he asks me to do. Deborah, do these Ukrainian friends of yours have any contact with you whatsoever before their missions work to Mexico started coming up with obstacles? Where do they stumble upon you? Well, one of them, uh, his name is Eli, and uh, when he, when his family came over, he used to listen to radio all the time. I, I don't know if they didn't have a television or what, but anyway, he said, I listen to radio constantly. And he said, I can't believe it. I used to listen to your dad on the radio all the time, and here I am sitting with you. He was just amazed. But isn't that just like the Lord? Isn't that just like like God to do something like that? Of the people I have been blessed with who have become friends over my years mm-hmm. here at our stations at Salem Media Group, your family's legacy is one of my favorites because I know how much you helped support your dad. Hello there, neighbor. Yes. And keeping him on the air. Yes. A seven-day-a-week radio ministry. Yeah. For years and years and years, decades plus. And isn't it kind of a God thing that all those years later that your Ukrainian friends were touched by your late father's radio ministry and they're tickled to work with you today? Yes. It's just like God. That's the way he works, I think, and to where we just sit back and just have to laugh because who who would have thought? Who could have dreamed that up, you know? I think that's how he works. I think I think it's delightful the way God works. It's it just fills me with delight. Deborah Klein is the president of First Nation Ministries and also one of the hosts of The Voice of First Nation Ministries, heard on True Talk at Hundred Weeknights at six. And weekday afternoons at 1 on 93.9 KPDQ, alongside some legacy messages from her dad, the late Reverend Don Klein. Make sure to tune in, and we'll hear more from Deborah Klein next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with one of the pillars of our Christian teaching and talk stations here in the Pacific Northwest. Deborah Klein is the president of First Nation Ministries. After taking the mantle from her late father, the Reverend Don Klein, 
And Deb, you're one of the most humble sisters in Christ I know of. But I want to thank you for all of the sacrifice that you personally have made over the years, helping out with your dad's radio ministry, in addition to the wonderful yet difficult task of being his caretaker in his later years on this earth when this big, hulking, strong, beautiful soul was going through dementia. And I'm sure that was not easy on a day-to-day basis for you, was it? It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. My heart goes out to everybody who is a caretaker. And I don't know, some people are born to, to serve and nurse and take care of, and I'm not one of those people, uh, you know. And I think there are a lot of people taking care of elderly people. It's like taking care of children, except you can't make a mind, you know. I mean, they just, they're headstrong, and they still think they know more than you do. And, and then when dementia is thrown in, uh, a lot of times um, there's anger and and physical violence, and it's just a hard, hard thing. And it, it drug on with my dad for six years, and there were days when I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. But, you know, he, he, he says my grace is sufficient, and it was, and and he just carried me through that. And, and now I have such compassion for people that are doing that. There's so many people now, they're taking care of kids and parents. You know, it's it's a hard thing. Well, you know, Mike, and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Sure, it's exhausting. And, and you love them, and you want to do what's right, mm-hmm. and you want to be pleasing to the Lord, but, but we're human. And there's some days where it's like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I think every household has a different story, and that one size certainly cannot fit every situation out there. Right. So in some instances, our loved ones are better off under the care of licensed paid professionals. Mm-hmm. Like in my late mom's case, she was a mile away mm-hmm. and she was safe. Mm-hmm. And it was a much better situation for her. Whereas my sister-in-law felt very strongly led to move in with her mom So she and my brother-in-law are living with her right now, and it's a different story, person-to-person, household-to-household. But if you pray about it and seek good godly counsel, I think God will make it clear, and I think he'll provide. And one of the things that I was told was that my mom didn't want me to be her nurse. My mom wanted me to be her son yeah, and to just hang out with her and to listen to her stories and laugh at her jokes. Mm Mm-hmm even if I've just heard the same one five times in a row, mm-hmm. just to pretend it was the very first time I'd heard it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much garbage she put up with me as a smug, young, punk, little brat in suburban Long Island, <laughs> New York. And not one size fits all. But I think it's important to feel that you're not alone. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you always had that, Deb. In fact, I'm pretty sure that you didn't. There were times when you were carrying the ball by yourself. I carried the ball by myself the whole time until the very end, uh, the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, my sister-in-law moved in with me. She she and I are roommates now, but uh, she needed a place to live, and I had a place for her. And so I said, come. And she moved in, and she helped me. And she's one of those kind that she's a caretaker, just naturally. She loves 
taking care of people, and, and she lifted the burden so much just to have somebody to talk to. There were days and days and days that went by that I had no one to talk to, you know, and I felt very much alone. And I, I agree, you know, if I would have had the money to put my dad in a care center, I, I probably would have done that, but I couldn't afford that. So, you know, I had no options, I, I felt, and and he was on hospice care, and that was nice because they sent a nurse to bathe him and do things. See, what you have to understand, too, and, and I talked to a man from uh, Human Services. He was an Asian man. And I, I, I said, you know, I, I come from a very conservative home where we were very modest, and and he just nodded. He said, I totally understand that. He said, my family is that way also. And so, to you know, there's certain things you have to do with caretaking that, you know, just goes against everything you've been raised to believe, and it, it's hard. And so I had I had uh, hospice for a while, but then they said, you know, he didn't die fast enough, I guess, so they stopped hospice care. So then I was back on my own, and uh, I don't know. It's just it was one of the hard. I think the only thing harder than that was my son dying really, was taking care of my parents. So my heart and my prayers go out to everyone that is having to do that, whether by choice or or just because they have to. They have no other option. Uh, Lord bless you, and he will give you the strength to to make it through. He really will. I'm the living proof of that. And you've done very, very well. Oh, thank you. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your daddy's up in heaven and he's incredibly proud of you and grateful for your efforts over the years. But now that we've lived through this experience, in your case, not only with the Native Americans, but in this case, dealing with the elderly, a loved one, someone mm-hmm. suffering from dementia, what advice might you have for people thrust into this sandwich generation? Maybe they're raising kids or maybe they're raising their own grandkids. Mm-hmm. And yet mom or dad or uncle Billy's not getting any younger. So what advice do you have? Well, first of all, lean on the Lord, because that's sometimes the only way you will make it through. And then um, if you have friends that offer to come over and relieve you for an hour, just so you can take a walk, I mean, I couldn't leave the house. That whole experience had a, a huge effect on my health and my mobility. And and so if if you have somebody that can come over and just relieve you, just take it. You know, don't think, oh, I don't want to impose or, you know, whatever thoughts may come in. Just just take that and thank them and thank the Lord for that opportunity for a little break. So uh, church, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Looking out for each other's needs and maybe God's blessed you with finances and you can drop a big gift here and there, mm-hmm. or maybe not. Maybe your gift is just offering to hang out with a friend's elderly relative for a few hours just to let them breathe. Yes. Go out, take a walk, maybe go to the store. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you have to forgive yourself. I still feel guilty for the times when I lost patience with my dad. You know, he he had dementia, 
and and sometimes dementia patients are very hard to handle and you can't reason with them you know there's really nothing you can do and and I got impatient with my dad and I feel guilty about that and you have to forgive yourself I think God knows that we're but flesh and blood you know and 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 so forgive yourself for the times when you feel like you did less than your best and expect it Yes. None of us are perfect. That's right. It can get tiring, exhausting, frustrating yes. when we're caring for loved ones and feeling like we're not adequate. Well, and when you feel like you're trying to do something to help this person and they don't want to let you. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to help you. No, I don't want that. Well, you know, it's it's easy to lose patience. But I know, Deb, that your dad appreciates everything that you've done for him over the years. So... Good for you. Tell us about growing up as the daughter of Reverend Don Klein. Were you close? Uh, When I was young, it was wonderful. And when I hit my teenage years, I hated it. When I was young, we lived out in Aurora, and it was country. And it was wonderful. Um, My brother went to school, and and my dad would, I'm going to the— Lumber yard, you want to ride along? And, and so I, I rode with my dad a lot. And, and I have to say, I was always, my entire life, closer to my dad than to my mother. Um, so that was wonderful. But then when I hit my teenage years, we belonged to this really conservative, legalistic denomination. And it was, you know, no jewelry, no makeup, can't cut your hair. You have to wear long sleeves, long skirts. I hated that. I just wanted to fit in with the other kids. And even some of my cousins who belonged to the same denomination, but they were back from the Midwest, they could do things that my dad wouldn't let me do. And so I rebelled um, because I just, I just wanted to fit in. And I didn't. I was an oddball because of all these rules. I used to pray. I remember being in the sixth grade, and I used to pray, and I said, God, why, why didn't you make it a requirement that we had to wear fingernail polish. Why did why did you say that we couldn't? <laughs> so <laughs> I wish I knew what that balance was, Deborah, because I've seen some churches go too loosey goosey right. and have no guidelines whatsoever. Right. And as a result, more often than not, failing to give young people the direction right. they need to grow up to be Lovers of God, more responsible, effective human beings. You know, and then I've seen the other side, which has been so incredibly strict that kids hit their twenties and they're gone. Yeah, they're done with the whole church thing. If that's our view of a benevolent God, we're out of here. Right. I think it always comes back to the heart. You know, it. I love jewelry. From the time I was born, I loved jewelry. And, of course, I could not wear it. And um, I wanted pop beads when I was a little girl. I don't know if any of you out there remember pop beads. They were little plastic things in different colors and different sizes, and you could pop them together and make necklaces. And I wanted those so badly, but no. And so now that I'm an old lady... I wear jewelry because I still love it. But I, especially working with Native Americans, 
I check myself. I say, now, why? Why do I want to put all this stuff on? Am I trying to make them think, you know, I'm wealthier than you are or I have more than you? Or am I am I just wanting to wear this because I think it's pretty? I, I try to always check my motive for everything, not not only makeup or jewelry, but the kind of clothing I wear, you know, there's a lot of exposure when it comes to clothing anymore. I'm, I'm really shocked at some of the things that people wear to church anymore. And, and to me, it's like, why would I want to wear that, especially to God's house? What What is my motive? And I think if you can do that, I think, and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, check me. If I'm out of line on this, check me. Because God isn't, If if you read in, what book is it in? Can't remember, but where he, he's talking about Israel and how he found her bloody in a ditch as a baby and how he washed her. And then she grew up into a beautiful young woman and he dressed her in finest leathers and silk and put rings on her wrists and in her nose and in her ears and on her fingers. And I mean, he's, he's, he's outrageous. You know, he, he dressed Israel to the nines, so I don't think he's opposed to people wearing jewelry. But it's the motive of our heart, you know. And I think if with everything in our, in our lives, if we can, if we can say, okay, why do I want to wear this style or, you know, have this look, and then say, Holy Spirit, check me if I'm out of line with Your will. Just check me because I want to be obedient first of all. I don't want to step out of your will over anything. And he's faithful to do that. And, you know, that's the problem. We need to keep our eyes on God instead of on each other. If God has checked me on something, no, you know, I don't want you doing that. But somebody else can, and they claim to be a Christian. It's easy to say, well, they get to. Why can't I? Or they can, so I'm going to. Well, we're all at different levels in our spiritual walk. We need to love that person and just trust that God, and God has, sometimes he won't let me ever do something that he will always let you do, because that's the plan for my life. And it's all good if you can just, as Corey Tinboom said, don't wrestle, just nestle. Just trust him with your future, with your life, and it'll be the most wonderful thing that you have ever experienced. Amen to that. Wonderful insights from the president of First Nation Ministries, Deborah Klein, who also hosts the voice of First Nation Ministries on True Talk 800 and 93.9 KPDQ, with both modern content from today and also classic messages from, hello there, neighbor, yes. her late father, the Reverend Don Klein. More with Deborah Klein next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, and over the years, the Reverend Don Klein's big, booming, welcoming voice has greeted people on our airwaves with the voice of First Nation Ministries, of which daughter Deborah Klein is now the president. So, Deb, I love the new content that you've continued to incorporate 
in your radio ministry. The Voice of First Nation Ministries weeknights at 6 on True Talk 800 and weekday afternoons at 1 on 93.9 KPDQ. So tell us what the Native Americans are feeling nowadays after a couple of years worth of pandemic difficulty or changing the way you're able to get them necessary supplies, furniture, fill in the blank. What is the spirit that you're sensing from our Native American neighbors? Well, I think for a lot of them, life is not much different than it always is. There's always a need for food. There's always a need for fuel, propane to heat their homes. Um, The pandemic really hasn't changed anything that much. Uh, When it came to forcing them to wear masks, uh, little Cecilia Spotted Bear uh, said to me, she said, you know, I don't think it's good to be breathing in what you breathe out all the time. And see, they're, they're suspicious of what the government tells them to do because they have memories of smallpox in, in the blankets and that they got. And, you know, so when it comes to taking a shot, they're very suspicious and slow to, to do it. So historically, yes. because things have gone against them so many times, yes. change is difficult for yes. our Native American friends to accept. They do not trust the government. Well, think about how many years it took for them to receive your dad. Yes. Three plus years of yes. just being yes. and bringing things yes. before any real conversations or relationships Ex- or friendships began, right? Exactly. It's a hard field. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go minister to the Indians. And then after a while, they just quit and leave because it's a very hard field. And you have to decide you're going to be in it for the long term. Which goes back to your earlier statement about questioning our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Do we want to go serve the Native Americans to maybe consciously or even subconsciously feel better about ourselves? Oh, here I am helping out these poor people. Look what a great Mm -hmm. person, what a great Christian example of Christ I must be. And maybe it's not intentionally like that, but like you said, I think if God's Put that calling on your heart. It's not going to be a quick one-and-done trip. It's going to be an ongoing relationship if it's to have any impact. I think back to 20, 30 years ago, missionary friends of ours were concentrating on the 1040 window, not to bring, quote-unquote, white man's religion to Africa, but to raise locals in the ways of the Bible mm-hmm. and show them Jesus' example and let them spread the good news to their own people as mm-hmm. opposed to bringing them mm-hmm. a brass ring that they would have to go after and mm-hmm. make us feel better about ourselves, right? That's the way to do it. If you, can, if you can have people minister to their own people, that's the best way. That's what we try to encourage, and that's why we support financially several ministers um, that live on reservations and and are believers and, you know, trying to reach their own people. We, we want to support that definitely because they will listen. The Indian people will listen to them before they will listen to a white person, especially here in the Northwest. We might have good intentions, but I think sometimes it's easy for us to just categorize people 
into comfortable little boxes or compartments and have preconceived notions about how we are going to bless them rather than listening for God's calling on mm-hmm. our lives or on our hearts. So maybe it's something like helping out a, a foster family by giving the foster parents a night out. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's by helping a caretaker mm-hmm. go to the movies or something like that mm-hmm. while you're sitting an elderly loved one with dementia. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. So how do we figure out if what our efforts are will be consistent with what God's calling us to do versus what we think other people need from us? Well, again, I think it comes to the heart. Why do I want to do this? Is it to make me feel better? Or do I really feel the Holy Spirit kind of putting this on my heart? I'll give you an example. Uh, there there are a lot of urban Indians uh, that I I suppose we could be reaching out to, but the history of this ministry has always been to natives who still live on reservations. And I just kind of went along with that. I didn't give it much thought. That's the way it had always been. And, and uh, well, this Ukrainian thing came up with Russia, and I saw on the news that there was somebody you could send money to, and he was sending money to supply a baker to bake bread over there. Now, bread in Ukraine is not only food for the for the stomach, but it has meaning. You know, it's life. It's it's I care about you here. Have some bread, that kind of a thing. And so I thought, hmm, I, I'd like to donate to that. And then I thought, well, you know, we're supposed to be helping the the Native Americans, and I just I just felt an impression that I believe was from the Holy Spirit said you know, someday you may need bread. And I thought, yeah, why do we have to to limit ourselves when people of the world need help? Whether it's a little old lady at Goodwill, which somebody had stolen her cane, and I just, I collect canes, and so I had two in my trunk, and I gave her one, and she was thrilled. Just a small thing like that, or this Ukrainian thing. And so when I met with the two guys from the Ukrainian church, they are shipping containers over to Ukraine with diapers and food and all kinds of things. And so First Nation Ministries contributed to that effort. Now, it's not dealing with Native Americans, but it is dealing with people that are in need. And I think uh, that's how we need, as Christians, we need to be on the lookout all the time for the Holy Spirit will will bring an opportunity if if you are open to it and watching for it he will bring an opportunity across your path where you will be able to bless somebody and and maybe it'll just pass and nothing will be said except a thank you or maybe they'll ask questions you know what why are you doing this well because i care about you because god loves you you know and i and i serve this wonderful god it'll it'll open uh, an opportunity for a testimony. You never know where the Holy Spirit is going to take it. But I think we always just need to be on the lookout for some place where we can bless people. And maybe we should be a little bit more willing to be uncomfortable and step out of what we're used to seeing and just trying to be obedient to God. And obviously, yes. the Lord's never going to be inconsistent. He's never going to ask us to do anything that goes against His Word, anything 
right. immoral or right. anti-biblical. Right. Okay. So if, if those thoughts are going through your head, get, get rid of good them. counsel. Surround yes. yourself with good, godly, biblical counsel and back it biblically. Right. And Exactly. I think we also need to get over ourselves to the point where I'm not doing this so I feel better later or so this mm-hmm. burden is off me or so I can see good results out of this person, which may or may not happen in our lifetime on this earth. Mm-hmm. You could do the right thing. You could follow God's calling in your life mm-hmm. and have no visible fruit that we can see, but maybe when we get to heaven someday, yes, we'll look down and see something different. Or maybe something we do for this person will yes. affect someone related to that person. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. See, some of us plant seeds, other people water. We don't know. We won't know the whole story, but heaven will reveal it, I believe, where maybe something small that we did led eventually to that person's conversion. You never know. You never know. We just need to be obedient and and watching for opportunity. And willing. And willing. Which is what your dad did. So can you give us the big picture of how the Reverend Don Klein got into helping out Native Americans in the first place? Surely he had to have lots of friends who were Native Americans or maybe blood relatives, right? How did that happen with Don Klein? Well, my dad used to drive Studebakers. And there was a, a dealer in Portland named Howard Marks that owned a Studebaker lot. And so my dad went in one year and was able to get a, a new Studebaker. And he traveled a lot back in those days. He was the conference president of this denomination we were part of. And so um, Howard told him one time, he said, you need a new, you need a new one. And, and my dad said, no. He said, I can't do that. The people the people wouldn't approve. They'd wonder how I'm able to afford all these new cars. And Howard said, I'll give you one just like it. They'll never know. And so he gave my dad this Studebaker that looked just like the old one. And anyway, Howard Marks had money, and and he would go up into Canada to hunt moose every year. And he said, you need to come with me. And my dad says, "I I can't afford, I can't afford to go moose hunting. Howard said, I'll pay for it. You come. You can preach to us on Sunday. And so my dad went, and uh, when Sunday came around, of course, they were going to hunt on Sunday, and and my dad said, you know, I'll just stay in camp because my dad was pretty strict when it came to activities on Sunday. Uh, he He thought it was a day of rest. And so they laughed. These were Portland businessmen and they laughed. We wondered what you were doing. Why don't you preach us a sermon? And so he did. And there were Indian guides and uh, other hunters and Portland businessmen that were on this hunt. And, and some of them came to the altar. They, they made a little makeshift altar. And uh, some of them had been raised in church and had kind of drifted. And, and uh, when it was over, uh, this Indian guide who was kind of tall— uh, came up and he bear hugged my dad and he says, why don't you come preach to our children? We live a hundred miles from the nearest church and all we have are horses. What chance do our children have? And so that night, dad said it was a clear, crisp night and he walked, the moon was full and he walked the perimeter of the camp and he was fussing at God and he said, God, why don't you help these people? 
And he just felt the Lord said to him, why don't you help these people? So he came back to Portland. He was pastoring a church at the time, and he started Frontier Missions. Uh, And so when he had time off, like summertime or Christmas break or something like that, he would make trips to the reservation. And all he had to take were he got some apples from the growers uh, up the gorge and uh, where they grow the fruit. (laughs) And so they would give him what was left over from the season and he would take it and he would just go sit under a tree in a, on a reservation and peel the apple and little kids you know reservations uh nothing no information travels faster than, than on a reservation everybody knows what everybody's doing and little kids would come what you doing mister I'm peeling myself an apple. Would you like one? And he'd give them an apple, and they'd run home to tell mom, and pretty soon mom would come, what's going on here? And so he would give them apples. And then uh, it got to where people would donate clothing. Uh, he he got in with Danner Boots, which is, I think, down on Airport Way now, and for a while they were giving him leftover boots from leftover from the season, or maybe they were irregulars or whatever. And so he would take them out and give them away. And and it was years that he did this. And finally, uh, someone said to him, why why are you doing this? Because there are people that will help Native Americans, but they charge for it. Well, in order for them to appreciate it, they need to spend money on it. They need to, you know, have to give something of themselves. My dad never felt that way. He always gave everything away free. And, and they finally said, why are you doing this for us? And he said, because I care about you and because God loves you, let me tell you about him. And so then he got in with Fred Myers, uh, their bent and dent stuff that they would normally get rid of. They started giving it to, to him and, and all their broken furniture and, you know, stuff from the variety section. Uh, we were getting that. And, uh, so that made it wonderful. We could take food, you know. He he delivered a box of groceries. He'd just knock on the door and say, uh, can I give you some food? And, of course, they will always take that because it's needed. And and this little Indian girl came and wrapped her arms around my dad's legs, and she said, Mr., I love you. <laughs> and and that's that's just how it got started. And it just grew, you know, to where he started off with a pickup truck with a canopy, and ended up with 18 wheelers. Deborah Klein is the president of First Nation Ministries. And if you go to the website, firstnationministries.org, that's firstnationministries.org, you can see a collection of wonderful pictures and a history of the ministry. And listen to the voice of First Nation Ministries weeknights at 6 on True Talk 800 and weekday afternoons at 1 on 93.9 KPDQ to find out how you can help. So maybe you're the next Studebaker dealer or the next Fred Meyer or the next Danner Boots company or the next Apple grower, or maybe you just have someone to lend your time or your attention to. Right. As Deb Klein says, look for opportunities to be obedient to the Lord that his gospel would be spread to others. Yes. Deborah, thank you so much for taking time with us today to share your stories with us as you do on The Voice of First Nation Ministries. It's been a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. That website again is firstnationministries.org. And thank you so much for joining us on Deverance Makers.
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.